Hey, if you got a Bible, Genesis chapter 2, or if you're using a device, no problem. If you're new to the whole Bible thing, Genesis is the very first document in this collection of documents, neatly bound up for us, the completed work of God. So just turn right to the very beginning. You need the big number two. Those of you watching online, so glad you're tuning in for this second part of a series that we started last week called The Fight to Flourish. What we're endeavoring to do over these few weeks together is detox our life of hurry and busyness and anxiety. And you've uh, probably heard somebody in the course of time say how busy they are. They're bemoaning the. In fact, just ask anybody. Hey, how you? Do? Oh, I'm good. You know, pretty good. Just busy. You know, busier than a gopher on a golf course. <laughs> busier than a, a farmer with one shovel and two rattlesnakes. You know, I mean, that's never a good thing. But uh, busy should not be the one consistency that you have in your life. God has designed a rhythm of respite for soul longevity and busyness and sin have the exact same effect on your life. Don't know if you have realized that or thought about that before, but busyness and sin do the exact same things. They disconnect you from God. They disconnect you from people. And really, they even disconnect and disrupt your soul. I think it was uh, Corey Ten Boom who first said, you've heard it, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. busy. We don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. So we're in a fight. We're in a fight to end this hustle and bustle in the world, a fight to flourish. Last week, we talked about a quiet place. If you weren't here, jump online this week. You can check out the message there. It will live there forever. But you need a man-made wilderness uh, where you can take a deep breath and just be. Be still and know that He's God and hear from God and really listen to God because even good distractions can rob you of your best life. That was the whole point of last week. Good distraction can rob, rob you from the best life that God wants you to live. This morning, we're going to build on that idea. I want to talk to you about the dynamics of desire. We're actually going to spend the next two weeks talking about the dynamics of desire because we all desire something. What we may not be aware of is what's driving those desires, what's bubbling underneath the surface. So, Part one, let's go. Genesis chapter two, right in the very beginning. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested, circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, rested. So God rested from all his work and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God, thank you so much for your word. We're asking you now to do what you promised to do and speak to us God, there's weight in what we're speaking about today. And so I'm asking that it's your words that people hear, that you give our spirits attentiveness and that we take seriously this idea that you've commanded us in scripture to be aware of, be mindful of, 
that you've done this for our joy, that this is meant to bring flourishing, that this is to help us. So help us now and this week. Great are you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. No days off. That's what the kids are saying these days. They say it's not just a saying, it's a lifestyle. Mainly it's just a hashtag. Okay, to be serious. Hashtag no days off. You see it on Instagram where the people have carefully curated uh, the photo as to uh, lay bare their maximum buffness. And they've taken off the weights that they were actually lifting. And they've put bigger weights on (laughs) so that everybody will be impressed with the picture that they've shared. They've got the exact right amount of perspiration so that you know they were they were really getting after it in there. And they took no days off because they hashtagged it with that exact thing, no days off. Over 6 million times, in fact. Uh, over 6 million posts on Instagram alone with the hashtag no days off because we've become so hyper busy in our culture that now work and working out are our identities and we have to let everybody know and they say it's eight days a week for me bro you know 416 days a year that's where i'm at 110 percent what are you talking that's not even pot you clearly didn't give 110 percent in school because math stops at a hundred percent okay so you can't go any further than that you your heart erupts at 101 percent okay so you can just lay off of that So if only this were something we posted on social media and not an accurate portrayal of our lives today. There is a perpetual low-grade anxiety that is constantly bubbling below the surface, and the vast majority of us are incapable of sitting down long enough to genuinely relax and rest. One of the articles I read said the average teen living in America today has the same level of anxiety that teens did in the 1950s. The only difference is that teens in the 1950s were psychiatric patients. So that creepy chick from the ring and your teenager are living with the same level of anxiety. Let that sink in. And you wonder why teenage suicide has skyrocketed in the past few years. There's simply too much to do. There's simply an overwhelming bombardment of everything that we have to do. And if you're going to get it all in, then you just have to go, go, go and YOLO and FOMO and we just got to do it all because I'm going to miss out. And I, one of my friends on Facebook was bemoaning the fact that she and her kids had so much to do. And there were hockey lessons and then school and taekwondo and piano lessons for the other kid. And then we had the soccer tournament this weekend. And we've got a volunteer for all these organizations and football and cross country and what in the world? Oh, can't get it in. Maybe we just need to calm down a little bit because God never commanded us to make sure our kids played every single sport. Amen. Why is lacrosse even still a thing? <laughs> you know, I mean, do people even 
like what's the horse one with the croquet um polo what why is that on tv you know what god did tell us that we should do rest and isn't it interesting that before he tells us how to rest he shows us how to rest you might jot that down if you're taking notes before god ever tells us how important rest is he shows us how important rest is he took a day off he created a rhythm of relaxation the hebrew word i had you underline is translated rested in your bible it's the hebrew word shabbat it's where we get our english word sabbath and you'll notice that in its original context shabbat sabbath is a verb it is something you do. It is something God did. It is something we all should be doing. And matter of fact, I'll show you later that God has commanded the Shabbat to happen. But I think it's important for you to consider that on the first day of show and tell with human beings on this new earth, God brings the verb Shabbat for us all to see. Sabbath. Rest. Now that we're randomly homeschooling our children off and on, they have begun asking me grammar questions, questions that I frequently make up the answers to, <laughs> as do all of you, so don't even judge me on that. But I know from my most recent ELA lesson that a verb is an action word, an action word. So in, case, uh, the, in the case of Shabbat, the action is to stop and delight. That is what a Sabbath is. It is to stop and delight. It doesn't mean Sunday. It doesn't mean no fun day. Sabbath means to cease and enjoy, to stop and delight. You can see it's exactly what God did. He stopped creating, verse number two. He blesses the day, verse number three. He stops and delights. He looks around and says, this is amazing. And he delights in what he's done. This begs the question, how often do we take a day where we stop and delight? Because before God ever tells us we should do this, he shows us that we should do this. So how often do you Shabbat? Not ever if you're going to believe the statistics. Okay, the average American works 47 hours a week on average. They sleep 42 hours a week on average. Told you last week how before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, because he's to ultimately blame for all of this. Before uh, Thomas Edison, the average American slept 11 hours a night. How is that possible, you ask? Uh, they went to bed at 530 when it got dark because there's only so much you can do with your little stub of a candle and you're walking around like, what do we do now? You know, might as well hit the hay, you know, nothing else to do. And we go to bed. And if you uh, flesh this out, like why it all happened, you'll notice that it's no coincidence that there's more light in the summer and uh, crops just happen to ripen in the summer 
So for an agrarian society, there's a rhythm to rest and a rhythm to work and there's a rhythm to the seasons and you work hard during harvest time so that you can rest well during the winter time. And this is how God designed the world to work. Maybe if you stop to consider this, you'll realize what you're doing to your body by staying up so long is according to the Geneva Convention defined as torture. So if you would keep prisoners of war up for as long as you stay up, you would be arrested for war crimes and executed. So one article I read said a lack of sleep has been conclusively linked to, not speculatively linked, conclusively linked to obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, depression, and anxiety. Take out depression and anxiety. What are you left with? The same list that coronavirus makes your risk way more dangerous. Obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes. This is what we're just living with in America. So regardless of where you land on the debate of Christianity and who Jesus is and the work that he accomplished, I think we can all agree that our physiology craves rest. And I'm arguing that God himself steps into existence and before he tells us anything, he shows us how important rest is. He models for us what we need in our lives. Now, obviously, this message comes right on the heels of us talking about busyness and how sin and busyness have the exact same effect on your lives. I already told you that what you might not have realized is not Sabbathing has the exact same effect as sin and busyness. By you not Sabbathing, you're not connecting to God in the way he wants you to. You're not connecting to other people in the way he wants you to. And you're not connecting to your own soul how he wants you to. And you should know that the secular community is already starting to pick up on this. I love it when science finally catches up to what God said is true in his word. And they've actually realized that there are seven types of rest that your body needs. Uh, There's the physical, the mental, the emotional, the social, the creative, the sensory, and the spiritual. Uh, And you need to rest in all these ways. Physical, you already know about. Okay, sleep. Sleep is good. Conclusively linked to uh, all of these things when you don't get enough sleep. Mental might be new, but your brain needs to rest. It needs a break. People say, well, TV is my rest. Uh, it, It gives me the rest I need. Actually, not so much. Okay, because the science is showing that your brain is still having to categorize all the stimuli that's being flooded into it. So your brain might be quasi checked out, but it's not at rest. It's still going. Emotional rest is uh, actually what I meant by delight. Science says that it's good for your body to take an inventory of all that's going right in your life. This is why at this time of year, people encourage you to post everything you're thankful for every day of November because it's good to reflect and be thankful and people are more happy uh, during uh, this portion of life generally. 
Social rest means getting off the face box and actually realizing that you have 3D relationships. There are 3D people out there. They're not just flat on a screen and you don't have to do this. You can do like this and this. God, you know, I'm not sure how to hug anymore. I can't do it. Uh, socially getting together. Creative rest, this is interesting. One of the most viewed TED Talks on the internet, millions and millions of views, is called The Art of Stillness. And his whole thing is to take a secular Sabbath. That's what he calls it, secular Sabbath. Because we don't need to connect spiritually. We need a secular Sabbath. But one of the major phenomenons in Silicon Valley right now is that they need they uh, in, uh, people in charge in Silicon Valley require their employees to take an interest internet Sabbath. It is required that one day a week you check out of any technology in order for you to come back to work more creative. That's what they found. Take a day off of technology so that you can come back more creative in creating the things that we desire uh, in our technology. So the one thing that technology hasn't given us is the ability to make sense and the wisest use of technology. In fact, there are actually now what they call black hole resorts where people spend hundreds of dollars a night in order to check into this resort and turn in the technology on the front end and say, it's all yours, I just need to relax. And even if you don't turn it in, uh, it's designed in such a way that your technology won't even work. No internet, no connection to the outside world. People are realizing, man, I really need this. I'll spend uh, $400 a night to get it. Like, what? Shut it off at home. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but seven types of rest, the last two being sensory and spiritual. Sensory rest. Uh, they found that if you do something with your hands, you should uh, then do something with your mind on like a Sabbath period. Or if you do something primarily with your mind in your work, you should do something with your hands to rest uh, your senses. Spiritual is what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about uh, because God God said, yeah, I already showed you that thousands of years ago. Remember this whole Sabbath thing? Uh, and even still, some of you are going, well, you know, it's just not how God created me. You know, I'm in a season right now. I'm trying to get a million dollars in the bank. And uh, my personality is such that I don't need rest the same way other people need rest. And you're going against how God designed the world to work at your own peril. And so call it whatever you want. The reality is you claim to know more than God. God says, Shabbat. You say, I'd rather not. I've kind of got this other stuff going on. I understand my body. I understand my needs and what I need and Apparently, God, what you need aren't the same thing. So I'll do me. You do you. One author calls it the dynamics of desire. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. He basically says, desire is infinite. It has no limit. 
Of course, you already know that's true because Jenny Lind told us that however many years ago on The Greatest Showman, and it's never enough. And King Solomon told us the exact same thing in Ecclesiastes when he said, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity because there's always another restaurant to eat at. And if you haven't tried Bubba's 33 or Taco's TJ 644, you know what I'm talking about? And there's always one more show to watch. And if you haven't seen every episode of The Office, are you even American? Can you even live in this country? And uh, if there's always another book to read, there's always another novel coming out, and there's always one more documentary, there's always one more animal to hunt, there's always, always, always another video game. And here's the problem. Your desires might be infinite, but you're not. You'll get what? 100 years if you're lucky? And so in the language of mathematics, infinite desire minus finite soul equals restlessness. Infinite desire, you're finite, leads to your restlessness. It's exactly where we found ourselves in this country. Restless, searching but never finding, interested in everything but satisfied in nothing. And look, human uh, desire is not wrong. It's infinite for a reason. It's infinite because God made us to live with him forever. And nothing apart from him will ever satisfy us. And so I like to picture heaven as a place where in addition to worshiping God for all of eternity, we also get to participate in all the good things that he's created and given us on this planet. And so for all of time, we get to go to all the restaurants and eat all of the good food. And for all of time, we get to read all of the great literature that he put and hear the amazing music that he's created. And we get to travel to all of the places and we get to watch the movies. Yet each week we'll stop and delight as God has told us to do. And here's what I want you to hear me say. When we fall away from God, the desire for infinite remains. And so it will ultimately be put on things uh, that will lead to our destruction. Here's how you can write it down. If you don't get rest where you should, you'll look for it where you shouldn't. That's the dynamics of desire. It's not going anywhere. And so if you uh, don't get rest where you should, well, then you're going to try and find it where you shouldn't. Could have given you dozens of examples just happening this week with spiritual church leaders, people looking for rest in an affair, people looking for rest in alcohol, people looking for rest in their work, people looking for rest through certain images on the internet. See, the dynamics of desire are not just tied to infinity. It's also tied to your identity. And I'll prove it to you. Because when you meet someone for the very first time, how does the exchange typically go? Oh, what's your name? I'm Billy. Oh, hey, Billy, I'm Landon. What's the next thing you ask? What do you do? What do you do for a living? See, your profession is tied to your identification. And that's a problem because now how do I prove my worth? Well, it's only through my work. And what God shows us is the difference between work being who you are and work being what you do. Work was never intended to be 
who you are. It's just something that you do. And if you put your worth in your work and then your work changes, then you won't know who you are. Which just for the record, this is why so many people reject the idea of a quiet place because they don't want to go somewhere and be alone with someone they don't even know. As someone they possibly don't even like. Did you know a recent survey found that 85% of Americans hate their job? 85% of you, almost 9 out of 10, will wake up at some point in the morning and go, Ah, oh, not this again. I hate my job. Furthermore, 66% of people, according to a recent Gallup poll, said they're actively disengaged at work. Like if you're a boss, seven out of the 10 people you hire are actively working against your company while still collecting a paycheck. Like what in the world? Well, there's a difference between godly work and worldly toil. Most people toil in their career. That's why they hate their job, because toil is not work. Toil is fruitless labor. Toil is God's wrath on humanity. Keep in mind, shortly after this text in Genesis 2, when humans sin, God curses the world with toil. We were supposed to work. God said to be fruitful and multiply and tend the garden and keep it. Godly work was always the intention. Toil is what came in and caused us to hate our jobs, 85% of us. And because of that, most children will never get to see their parents do something challenging and fruitful and admirable and uh, enjoyable. Instead, when you come home from work, your kids will see a stark, shallow, joyless occupation, and you bemoan the fact that you hate your job, and they'll just think, well, that must be what work is. And it will lead to a cycle of restlessness. So what's the solution? Easy. Rest. That's not complicated. If the problem is restlessness and toil and unfruitful labor, then the opposite of that is rest, meaningful work, joy, and fruitful labor. How do you find that? Through rest. Now here's the problem with that solution. Just like there's a difference between work and toil, there's a difference between rest and leisure. Rest and leisure are not the same thing. Leisure is not rest. Leisure is a fruitless escape from labor. Leisure does not restore your soul. Leisure is purchased from other people who have to toil to give you rest. This is why when you get home from vacation, you're like, I just need a vacation. I didn't do anything because you never Sabbathed. You never Shabbat. You had a whole week off and never rested. You leisured. You tried to purchase entertainment. So what's God's solution to the problematic solution? Exodus chapter 20. He commands a Sabbath. See, one of the things that always bothered me was I could never figure out why God would have to command rest. You ever thought about that before? Why does he got to command it? You think everybody would want it, especially the Israelites. Like they're coming off 400 years of slavery here with literally no days off. Like you think the first thing they would want with 146,000 days of work in a row is to take a day off. But, you know, 
uh, after 146,000 days, they're like, I don't know, let's find something else to do, I guess. And God's like, no, remember the Sabbath day? Remember that thing I did a few thousand years ago where I created for six days and then I took a day off? Hey, y'all should remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Holy just means set apart, distinct. Okay. Hey, remember the Sabbath day and set it apart in your life. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, God says, that's a Sabbath. You should uh, stop and delight in me, the Lord your God. On that day, you shall do no work. Not you, not your son, not your daughter, not your male, female servant. None of your animals should work. No foreigners residing in your towns should work. See, God's so amazing that he's like, hey, even if they don't believe in me, they don't need to work. Their body needs to rest too. And he says, uh, in six days, I made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. But I rest on the seventh day. I showed you how to do this before now I'm telling you how to do it. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath, made it holy. It's worth pointing out that this is the only command of the Ten Commandments that the word holy is attached to. God doesn't even call himself holy in the Ten Commandments. He's like, yeah, uh, I'm the Lord your God. I have no other gods before me. But remember that Sabbath? It's holy and you need to do it. Like it's kind of a big deal. And a Sabbath-less life is a violation of God's intention for your existence. So here's what I've been trying to drive us towards. Most of us can't do anything to change the nature of our work. All of us can do something to change the nature of our rest. You probably can't change your job. You can't change how you rest. You can set it apart. You can find a Sabbath day and make it holy. In fact, the author of Hebrews, when he's talking about the Sabbath, he he writes it like this. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that Sabbath rest that God wants you to have. Like we have to work hard at resting well. It's not going to come easy, this whole Sabbath thing. And God says, since I've made it holy, you're going to have to work hard at actually doing it. So I want us to talk about how to Sabbath in just a second. But before we get too far out of Genesis, I want to talk about uh, the interesting correlation that God clearly draws between Sabbath here and Exodus and how he hearkens it back to creation in Genesis. And I was pondering why he did that. It occurred to me that in Genesis, Adam is made on the sixth day, right? Technically, he's not born, fashioned out of dust. God breathes life into the dust. It's very weird, I know. But Adam's alive now, sixth day. He's like, oh gosh, this is amazing. I've never been alive before, and uh, there's like must be a ton for me to do and see. And God's like, hey, welcome to earth. Uh, glad you're here. It's been a great week. I've had a lot going on that you didn't see, but uh, we're going to get the, I've got this whole sun and moon thing, morning and evening. It's about evening. So we're going to go to bed very soon. And Adam's like excited. He's like, oh man, I can't go to bed right now. I'm very thrilled about all of this. I've just got too much going on. And God's like, I know I'm kind of a big deal. And I did all of this, but we'll get started soon. So day seven, 
first full day on planet Earth for Adam. He wakes up, the sun stretches out, says, oh man, this is the day I'm raring to go. I've probably got a lot to do, huh, God? God's like, actually, today's a day off. What do you mean a day off? God, surely there's some animals for me to name. I've got some fruit over here to pick. I see that I have no pants, God. This is very... Oregonian of us to walk around naked and maybe we should do something about this whole situation and God's like "Mm, nope I finished all the work before you got here today is the day we rest you thought about that first full day on planet earth God says to Adam we rest and it occurred to me well that's kind of what Jesus does for us See, religion says, oh, you have to do, 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 go, 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 keep all the laws, keep all the laws. You got to keep working, keep working. You got to earn your way into God's presence. Well, then Jesus says, no, I, I kind of did it all. You can rest in what I did. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So sure, God has some work that you're supposed to do in order to be a faithful follower of Jesus. He says, you have to be fruitful He says, oh yeah, you're going to know the disciples that I have by the fruit that they bear, but grace is placed on you. It's not based on you. Jesus says, hey, you can rest in all that I've done because I paid your price. You can't earn your way into heaven. You just have to trust in me. Christ died for us. Jesus is our Sabbath. But he also says, you should Sabbath. So let's talk about how we Sabbath. How do we stop and delight, right? That's what Sabbath means. So be more specific, Pastor. How do we stop and delight? Okay, much of this is going to be between you and God, but I'll give you four things that you should do since you asked. Worship, rest, rejuvenate, delight. Okay, none of you asked. I understand that, but I'm going to give you four things anyway. Worship, rest, rejuvenate, Delight. Some of that language is similar, but let's talk about worship. What is worship? Anything that indexes your heart towards God. Anything that demonstrates a grateful recognition of God's reality in your life and his goodness in your life. It's worship. So for me, one of the things that I like to do to worship is either cook or participate in a good meal, a slow meal. I want a cold beer or a good wine. I want to sit with my friends in a garage or on a patio. I want to relax and laugh and play games and thank God that he has given to me the dominion over the king crab and his legs. And I want to praise God that he has given me the ability to create a fire and the knowledge to boil water. And God has given me the uh, knowledge on how to milk a cow and separate the cream and create butter and melt the butter. And in fairness, I don't know how to do any of that. Okay, I just buy the butter. But God made somebody somewhere think to themselves, hey, let's and do the thing and uh, churn. And, and I, because of some Pacific Islander somewhere, said to himself, hey, let's boil this crab. 
and break open the leg and pull out the meat. Let's see what it tastes like. You know, like crapshoot here. What's got dip it in butter? I bet that'll be good. Like, what are the odds? That is how we worship. And while we worship, we're also supposed to rest all seven ways and rejuvenate our spirit for the long week ahead, right before our next Sabbath, where we repeat the process and we delight in our friends and our family and we experience all the good gifts that God has given us. This is how we worship. This is how we rest. In fact, the Jewish Talmud, this is so crazy. They commanded the Jewish leaders commanded on the Sabbath that you make love on the Sabbath. And that's if you're married. Okay. I see that look in some of you young people's eyes. This is some of you are like, how do I convert to Judaism? This sounds like a, it's very complicated. You don't want to do it. Okay. So, uh, but this is what God is saying. Hey, worship me, rest in me. I've given you these good things for you to enjoy. Take a day to do it. Enjoy who God is. Enjoy what God has given you. Six days you're going to have to work. God says, hey, relax. It's supposed to be more than just a day. A Sabbath is a lifestyle. It's a part of restfulness that comes from being and abiding in the Father's love for you. And His presence all week. You know, science has actually shown that people who practice a Sabbath regularly live longer than people who don't. Seventh-day Adventists who religiously, without fail, from Friday night sundown to Saturday sundown, they have a Sabbath. Once coach a kid in basketball who couldn't play Saturday nights if we had a game, well, Saturday at any point, because that was their Sabbath. Science has shown Seventh-day Adventists live longer than Americans by 10 years. 10 years because they Sabbath. Isn't that remarkable? No. Okay. Well, I thought it was cool. I'd, I wouldn't mind kicking another decade. You know what I'm saying? But uh, that's how we Sabbath. We stop in delight by worshiping, resting, rejuvenating, delighting in God. In his book about the Sabbath, Wayne Mueller writes this, Sabbath is a time to stop to refrain from being seduced by your desires. That's what they'll do. They'll seduce you. Sabbath is to stop working, stop making money, stop spending money. See what you have. Look around and listen to your life. Remember all that noise that we talked about last week, the cacophonous age that we live in? Do you really need more than this? Spend a day with your family. Instead of buying a new coffee maker, make coffee in the old one. That's how we Sabbath. When do we Sabbath? Well, uh, what I'm arguing is one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. When do we Sabbath? One hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. Remember, there's nothing you can do to change the nature of your work. You can change how you rest and you can rest an hour a day. And if you have kids, I would recommend that you rest one hour a day around the dinner table. 
I could have shown you thousands of studies that show the importance of getting together as a family, sitting down at the dinner table and hear me slowing down, shutting off the phone, shutting off the TV. You sit there, you eat together and you say, how was your day? One of the things that we like to do in our family, what was your favorite part of the day? What was your least favorite part of the day? And we're going to slow down and we're going to remind ourselves of everything that God has done to get us through the day faithfully. And so an hour of the day, we're going to stop in delight. And one day a week, we're going to stop and delight. Five days, you should work for your employer. One day, you should work for your spouse or yourself, depending on your situation. One day, you Sabbath. That's what it means. You should know in this country, the only reason we have a two-day weekend is because when they were trying to govern all of this stuff, uh, Jews and Christians in this country couldn't decide which day was the Sabbath. Is it Saturday or is it Sunday? And so politicians, being who they are, are like, let's give them both. And we're like, yes, that sounds amazing. And so that's why we have a two-day weekend. What you have to decide is which day of the Sabbath uh, should you take. And six days you should work, and one day a week you should take off. And then finally, you should take a Sabbath vacation, not a leisure vacation. You need a week of a Sabbath vacation. Remember, there's a difference between rest and leisure. Should you do the leisure thing? Absolutely. Go make memories. Go pay people. See the Grand Canyon. It's all very amazing. It's a big, beautiful world out there. But one week, you need to have the Sabbath vacation where you relax and you just get on a boat and you sit and you thank God that he has given you this opportunity and you find a friend with a lake house. Come on, somebody. And you chill (laughs) at their house for a little while and just hang out and thank God that he has given you friends with a lot of money and not any for yourself. But... (laughs) Listen to me now. This is, this is important. This is, this is actually probably the most important thing that I'll say, because some of you in your mind, you're trying to negotiate your way out of a Sabbath. And you're trying to say, well, that's just not plausible for me. An hour a day. I'm very important. A day a week. I, I just can't. I can't do that. A week, a year. So listen to me. If you don't make time for the Sabbath, God will take the Sabbath from you. And you wonder why that car wreck, that plumbing burst, that sickness, whatever it is in your life, you're wondering, this came at a very inopportune time. And it might be that God is asking you to take a second, to slow down, because here's how the author of Romans describes it. But he, God, will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves Because you've decided in your mind you're more important than God and you don't need a Sabbath. And if you live for yourself and refuse to obey the truth instead of living lives of not wickedness, which is what God wants for you, if you live a life of wickedness, there will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil. Wait a second, Pastor. Are you saying that if I don't Sabbath, I'm being wicked? Of course not. I didn't say that. God said that. So I didn't have to. So he wrote it in his book for all of time. Some of you don't want the Sabbath. And even Jesus 
when he's asked about this in Mark chapter 2, he says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Like God's giving you this as a gift. It's made for you to have fullness of life. It's not made so that you can keep commands. This is God's gift to you. You should utilize it. Some of you are working so hard that you're not even going to live long enough to enjoy the fruit of it. Because you're killing yourself. And maybe these things in life that you've experienced is God's trying to get you to slow down. I heard a pastor say, in an age of constant movement, nothing is so urgent as sitting still. So here's the last thing I'll say. Uh, when Jesus asked about the Sabbath, from uh, his words here in Mark chapter 2, he's actually being criticized because he kept doing miracles on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are ostracizing him like, you can't work on the Sabbath. Like, this is, this is wrong. You're breaking God's law. And uh, what I want you to understand is Jesus did miracles on the Sabbath. You tracking with me? If you're not taking a Sabbath, what miracles are you missing because Jesus is still the Lord of the Sabbath. What miracles are you missing? Because you'll never Sabbath. And Jesus wants to do a miracle on the Sabbath. And I wish I could have just grabbed this microphone and dropped it and walked off, but it's a very <laughs> expensive microphone. And we don't want it. Some of you are missing a miracle that God wants to do because you refuse to Sabbath. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you so much for being the Lord of the Sabbath. Thank you for designing the world in such a way that we can rest. We can have insurance that you're still in control. That 24 hours, the world is still going to spin. This year is still going to go around the sun. And you're commanding it all to happen. God, thanks for showing us how to rest. I don't want to just hustle past this and I want you to feel the weight even in your own life of where this is not happening I'm praying that God really stirs and moves you just to take a second to look around and take inventory in your life man how much has God blessed you Where's all this hustle and bustle actually gotten you? How can you rest these seven senses this week? When's your hour day going to come? When's your day a week going to come? See, the hardest part of my job is I know you're going to take it seriously for this 40 minutes that we've been together. And when you walk out this door, you're going to be like, well, got a lot to do today really good message and a month from now you'll be in the same routine and habit that you've always been in never resting never rejuvenating God help us help us rest in your son what he did for us. 
He paid the price so you didn't have to. He's forgiven you your sin. The longer I stand here and pray, the more you're like, oh, I got to get ready for lunch. No, 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 no. God's giving you a moment right now. Help us, Lord. You gave us this infinite desire in our soul. It's from you, but help us place it on you. Rest in your son, Jesus. Help us not to place it in anything in this world. Make us more like your son. Help us practice rest. We ask all this in your powerful name. Amen.